Halloween 2020 episode of Retrovane Axe. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, ghouls and ghosts. And we are revisiting. Oh, shit. Look at that. You you had to come up with something better oh. than, than Billy's boo from last week, and you've succeeded. Why? I, it took me a whole uh, you know episode to process it, and I finally got around to it. So well, here we are. Well done. Well done. I, and, and for this Halloween episode, we're revisiting a series we started last year. We played the original Silent Hill for PlayStation. So this year we decided uh, the, the best... You know, game to tackle for actual Halloween would be Silent Hill 2, a game yes. that many people would say is probably the best in the series, and I had never played before. But we will get into Silent Hill 2. But have you guys been playing anything other than this game, spooky or Halloween-related? Well, um, I, I don't know if, if we're counting the, uh, the the gathering of pumpkins in Animal Crossing. Oh, certainly. I'm doing, an awful, I'm doing an awful lot of that. It's got me back on there. I'm gathering these goddamn pumpkins up left and right. Um, I, I keep my inventory almost entirely full, so uh, it is me getting up like an extra five minutes early, uh, so I can gather pumpkins, uh, unload them at the house, come back, gather more, uh, and still get to work on time. Uh, aside from that, yes, I have been playing some proper uh, spooky games. I did that thing where I was kind of bouncing between a few, uh, but I picked up White Noise again, um, yeah, and I think maybe... <laughs> Uh, during a Halloween episode, I may have been talking about playing through this one. Then I picked it up for the uh, the PlayStation a while back and started playing through. It's a pretty fun game. It's a uh, kind of really highly stylized, uh, all like black and white uh, detective horror game. You know, trapped in a in a haunted mansion and and trying to navigate your way around with with limited uh, light supply and whatnot. Uh, but uh, I started in October, and then after October was over, I got bombarded with a couple other games I wanted to play, uh, and kind of kind of left it abandoned, and have started playing through it again. And really, I just love the aesthetic of that game. It, it controls a little a little rough here and there, uh, but at the same time, uh, the game's a ton of fun. It, it's not it's not frightening by any means it's more on the spooky end of things than anything else uh kind of gives it has that like old school horror movie vibe to it um but no i it's a good time uh nice little game i'm i'm gonna see it through i, I know we're almost done with the season again but i will not be abandoning it again uh, if it takes me through november i'm gonna finish up that white noise this time uh, I really haven't been playing anything too spooky. I've been well. I mean, I have been playing the scariest game of all, which is World of Warcraft. Mm. Uh, but I kind of got on there as my yearly checkup to see what's going on. <laughs> and this is the year that that's like probably the biggest change since like they, I guess like the original game released. Uh, they finally like squished the levels all the way down, back down basically to what it was back at the original game. So right now, as as of when I'm, we're doing this podcast, the max level is now fifty. And whenever they release the the next expansion, it will go back to sixty. Mm -hmm. So it, I just wanted to see how it was how they could actually do that, and for that game to make sense. Because, as I'm sure you're aware, there is tons and tons and tons, literally a decade almost of content for World of Warcraft for people to go through, and it's it's really strange how you do it now because you can literally just go to one area and level all the way up to max level and never have to touch any of the rest of the game it's it's just super weird how they've done it like they've condensed everything to the point where it seems like 90% of the content in the game 
you don't ever actually have to participate in if you don't want to, which is really strange for me, like coming from like when I played it back in the day and you had to <laughs> literally go through basically uh, 90% to 100% of the content to get anything out of that game. So it's really weird just to be playing that and knowing that there's mm-hmm. so much more of that game that's out there that that I don't even have to touch if I don't want to. And that seems like how they're wanting to do it. They're wanting everybody to get to like max level so they can participate in the end game and stuff like that. But really that's all I've been playing. I that's, you know, I, I really haven't been playing any super Halloweeny games this month except for the the one we're actually playing right now. Yeah, I I mean I still have been playing like Billy mentioned Animal Crossing, kind of growing and, and using pumpkins to make my town Halloweeny. I did finally get the last recipe I needed to make the fences, which I expect to be a little more spooky. They're just metal fences, but hey, that's okay. I've replaced all my fences with uh, with spooky fences. Also, I've been uh, my kids and I have been playing Minecraft Dungeons. There's a, a Halloween event that I thought we were mm. playing, but we actually are just playing through a pumpkin themed area that is not the <laughs> Halloween event. Uh, still, it's been a good time. I'm enjoying that, but. Uh, I don't know how much, you know, I I know you mentioned you're playing Warcraft, and they do kind of have a Halloween event here and there. I like when I'm surprised by a Halloween event, when I don't realize there's going to be a a game DLC or something that is going to be Halloween-themed. And this Mm. month I got that 100%. Uh, I've mentioned before, I I bought and played through and finished Mortal Shell for the PlayStation 4. It's very much like a a simple Souls clone. Uh, I think it actually is, in many ways, is, I don't want to say superior to Dark Souls, but if you're looking for a Dark Souls experience but don't want to spend a whole ton of time uh, but want a good quality experience, uh, Mortal Shell is it. And so they've released a free DLC called Rotten Autumn, and it gives you not only, uh, you know, adds pumpkins and, and some of the characters, like uh, as you're just fighting random enemies, they'll have pumpkins on their head, but also uh, there's new skins for your characters, so it doesn't change anything, it just makes you look cooler. Uh, that, that's a new kind of mini quest you can do in the game by feeding different food to this giant frog. Uh, but also the bosses now have this like super death metal soundtrack that wasn't there before you could download and turn mm. on and off. I mean, it's it, again, it doesn't add a whole ton of content, but it was just the fact that I didn't expect it. All of a sudden it started updating it changed the the icon on my ps4 and i started playing it again and i was like this is great all the little extra touches to adding the pumpkins here and there and making it look a little creepier uh, i love that i wish more games did that for every ho- every holiday really but halloween specifically is one that uh, i every game doesn't matter if you're spooky or not it, it deserves a halloween overhaul so I, i've really enjoyed playing mortal shell but other than mortal shell and the games i mentioned that i did spend a lot of time playing the game we're going to talk about now our return to silent hill for silent hill 2 on the PlayStation 2. looking for this uh ever since last year we finished up the first silent hill um i was all aboard the fucking hype train for this one back when it was released um having played that first silent hill uh it, it instantly uh catapulted itself beyond resident evil uh beyond whatever else was out there um as, as just the tip top of the heap uh, when it came to survival horror for me, um, I, I love that it had, uh, you know, that we talked about Silent Hill, a little bit more of that horror aspect to it, a little bit more of the mystery aspect uh, that I really 
really loved. And coming into the second one, I remember it was me and and a couple of friends who still, you know, up to the time the second one came out, would still gather around. Like, you know, kids gather around watching a, a scary film. We would gather around and play that Silent Hill. We'd still just play through that first one, see what other little things we could find. And, and just, it was one of the first kind of PlayStation 2 games where I just would consume every little tidbit there was about it. Every little article. I had not been that excited about a game in quite some time. Um, and I, I think one of the big points of worry uh, was, I think when I first was first revealed to me that this would not be a, uh, a direct sequel. This would not be a continuation um, as far as the characters of the first game. And that's always a little worrisome. Uh, but I was hopeful, and this thing came out, and we'll just say that I've been playing it ever since then. That might be showing my hand a little bit, but, you know, so be it. I think we spoke enough about this game before, even on last year's podcast. Yes. I, I think everybody kind of knows where we stand, at least yes. me and you. Yeah. Uh, Jer Jeremy P. was the only one that hadn't played it. But, yeah, I... I was really looking forward to this one whenever it was it was announced for the PlayStation 2 mm -hmm. and uh, went out to the mall, grabbed it day one when it was out. And just, man, I was not prepared for that. I don't think people can quite understand the jump that we had from PlayStation to PlayStation 2. This was not just going from like PS3 to PS4. Like this was going from, you, you know what a PlayStation 1 game looks like to going to something that looks legit good. Mm -hmm. And Silent Hill 2, the first time I played that on PlayStation 2, I was blown away by just how good it looked. The atmosphere, everything about it just instantly pulled me in. I was always kind of disappointed like you that I that it, this wasn't a direct continuation of the yeah. first game. Because I, you know, there wasn't, I was kind of curious to see if they, they could make a sequel out of that. But they didn't need to with this one and what they, what was there. It was just mind-blowing of what they did. And so, yeah, I played this game to absolute death when it came out it, right after our last episode my brother who is a, a much bigger silent hill fan than i was uh you know sent me he literally was like yeah i have my ps2 copy so i'm mailing it to you you need to play it immediately and i got it i mean literally the week after halloween last year and when we kind of talked about it and thought we would do it this year i saved it I, I had it sitting here on the shelf literally next to my whole setup that i do the podcast and all my other gaming on just waiting for this october so I was very excited to get into it because I really, really did like uh, the first Silent Hill as we talked about last year. And if you haven't listened to that, it, it's probably worth a listen still now. I think it's in, as, as current as any of our games are, right? But, but it's a, it was a, a well-received game. And, and so I was looking forward to playing this because you're right. The difference between PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 is drastic. I mean, the original Silent Hill, while it did do a lot of really cool things, when you actually watch it and look at it and look at the way the monsters move and look at the way that the you know the way it doesn't because of the fog and everything else but also the limitations of the playstation it only draws out like 10 feet in front of you like there's a lot mm. of problems with that original game that at the time were still like this is worlds ahead of the super nintendo or whatever but uh the, the jump from playstation 1 to playstation 2 was was super drastic so it, just from the get-go this looks a lot more like what you'd expect a modern day game to look like 3D is well drawn. Like it's not. It doesn't look like big blocks. Everything looks like an actual person or a building or a car or whatever. Like everything looks really good. Uh, they took the aesthetics I love from the original game. Uh, it has that constant fog, which the original game had all the time. Again, whether or not that was done 
uh, for mood specifically, or, or so they wouldn't have to worry about drawing in too far out and making the game look ugly. Didn't matter. It worked really well. Well, in this game, it clearly looks like it's fog. There's, mm-hmm. there's, it's always super hard to see. You can see things falling down through it. You can see things further out as, as a shadow as opposed to a fully formed thing. I mean, it's, it's really impressive how they took the feel and the look of the original Silent Hill and, and put it in PlayStation 2 without ruining that. I think that's a really careful balance. They did a really good job uh, of keeping that fog element uh, in the game and still having it feel a little more like it's a choice than a, <laughs> than a need. Um, so you're right. This is not a sequel to the original Silent Hill uh, in story. It still takes place, I believe, in the same town, uh, although you're not in the same exact area as you were in the first game, but it's the same kind of town. It's that, that 40s, 50s looking, the, the signage, everything else looks very much like that time frame. But at the same time, you're in this city that looks like time has stood still. You're in there, you don't see a lot of other people at all, just a handful of people that attach to the story in some way, and then these, these monsters or demons, depending on, on, uh, on where you are in the story. Uh, the original game, you know, you played the... the Harry, kind of every man Harry, he's looking for his daughter. Mm-hmm. He's she's gone, and, and you're supposed to go find her. In this game, it's very similar, except this time you start in the way all games should really start, kind of a rundown rest stop uh, outside of Silent yeah. Hill, <laughs> staring at yeah. a bathroom uh, mirror. I, you know, usually when something scary happens to me, that's where it begins. And also just kind of staring at yourself in the mirror as you mm-hmm. just run your hand down your face, just like, oh god. So yeah, <laughs> just the absolute perfect starting point for this game. Absolutely and, and, loved it. Yeah, and and I think uh, I I was very happy uh, initially playing through, and still looking back now that they kind of instantly tip off that you're you're the everyman again. You are not. Uh, they didn't decide for the sequel. They need in the muscle. They they don't need to bring in the you know a fucking a train marksman or anything like that. Uh, they they make this guy very much like from the beginning of the game just seem like a pretty pretty vulnerable. Uh, character and, and I do appreciate that um, about the series and and how you know uh, over at Resident Evil you've got your you know your your trained you know <laughs> trained unit there that know how to handle things know how to take care of themselves I still liked in this one you you get a guy that from the first shot of him uh, he 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 looks a little bit on the fragile side of things I think this game does is, is the one that really starts with having some very, very flawed characters in it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the first one stuck to pretty much, you know, it was, it was out there, but it was a pretty standard kind of horror film kind of plot. But this one, like, you know, the characters themselves, even though he starts off as this kind of every man and the characters that you meet along the way, you know, they, they all seem like they kind of got issues. And as you get further along, the game does just this incredible job of, kind of showing you that all of these people are kind of shit, yeah. you know, for the most part. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yes, as the game starts out, it really does kind of seem you are with the most vanilla white man that you could possibly ever put into a video game. <laughs> uh, and I guess we should say that we probably are. If you haven't played through it, I think this is definitely one of those games that, uh, that, that you know, deserves to be played through fresh. Uh, God, if you have gotten this far... Uh, without knowing what's going on in Silent Hill 2, my hat's off to you. Uh, maybe go play it, then come back. I don't know of any way um, to talk about it, maybe, without getting into things that are just going to mess, you know, mess with uh, some reveals along the way. But like Jeremy said, yeah, it is interesting. You start with these people that, uh, yeah, are all just, just a little weird. Uh, you you kind of find out why they're so weird. 
And uh, this was one of the first games, and we'll talk more about it, where they did a great job of changing uh, the feelings and maybe the sympathy I had towards um, characters as we as we went along. You know, normally we start off, you know, the first one, it's a guy looking for his kid. You know, yeah, I mean, it's hard to hard to touch him on that one. You know, that's that's a good dad out there <laughs> fighting fucking monsters looking for his kid. Um, and this one, uh, you are you're you've got a mysterious letter. You're you're looking for your your wives at a, at a place that I guess is of significant to significance to you from the past in Silent Hill. And you say, all right, we got uh, we got a good old boy here out looking for his wife. And you can kind of get behind that. Uh, you kind of want to see this guy pull off and succeed. Uh, this game, like Jeremy touched on, does one of the best jobs of kind of subverting what you think and kind of changing opinions and having just these these deeper characters. I mean, not just uh, where the, was the graphics and, and everything like that getting more advanced in this this sequel. But I, I think they... Uh, they did a hell of a job with the the characters too, as far as deepening that aspect of it. I think this game is one of the first I've played where you know a lot you know all the games are rated at this point, right? And a lot of the ones that are rated M is just because they're extremely graphic, uh, mm -hmm. or extremely violent, or or they use language for no goddamn reason. Uh, they just decide mm -hmm. to throw some f words in there for no fun. Uh, but mm -hmm. but this uh, this game actually touches on a lot of serious topics a lot of topics mm -hmm. that some people may find uncomfortable i guess triggering is the current word people use for th for this sort of thing uh, this game really does touch on those it's a very uh, core theme to to the story so again uh, much like billy mentioned if you really want to play silent hill 2 and you don't want anything ruined i hate to say don't listen to this podcast uh, i'll but listen to it but just you know pause it, it. It's, pause it get, right now get through the game five six hours then come on right yeah but pause it pause the podcast, play for six hours, and then come back. I somehow managed to get this far without knowing the story <laughs> of Silent Hill 2. I mean, I, I knew some of Silent Hill 2, but I tried yeah. really hard not to read ahead and and look into the, the background and the story of Silent oh, Hill yeah. 2. So I was very, very happy with my playthrough on this. I think if, if someone would have told me the ending, while it still would have been fun to play through, because it's a, a very well-made game, mm -hmm. it really, the, the reveals and the, the changes and, the, and what you learn about the characters and the background and everything else during the game really does uh, contribute to why this is such a, a well-made game. So uh, much like Billy mentioned, you're kind of the everyman. You are James Sunderland. You've decided to come to Silent Hill because you received a letter in the mail from your dead wife, uh, knowing that your wife is dead uh, and, and, this is not ruining the story necessarily. Uh, she was ill and died of, of illness at some point uh, about three years prior to get a letter from your dead wife explaining that she's waiting for you at a place that has a lot of meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, most people would say, well, this is someone trying to scam me out of money or whatever else was going on. Uh, but for whatever reason, James feels like he needs to go back to Silent Hill, which is the place that would have this this memory that would matter to Mary to see why his wife, Mary, would have sent him this letter. Or mm -hmm. who would have sent him the letter and try to figure out why they're doing this to him, right? Yeah. So you're at this rest stop right outside of Silent Hill, and immediately you can tell that something's wrong. First off, um, uh, sorry. First off, trying to drive into Silent Hill, you can't. The whole road into Silent Hill is blocked off. That, that's what you realize at the first. That's why he's actually stopped at this rest stop. The, the road to get there is blocked off. You have to find another way to get there. Thankfully, he's got a map in his car that explains you can you know walk down this kind of woody path to get to the outskirts of Silent Hill from where you are. 
I really liked the walk down to Silent Hill a oh, lot. Yes. You're leaving this rest stop. I, you're going down this little <laughs> wooded area. It's It keeps changing camera angles in a very cinematic way. This game deals, does... Wow. This game does still have tank controls. Uh, whether mm-hmm. or not you like tank controls, in this game, I don't think it matters. Silent Hill is not a fast action game, so, so tank controls do not really hinder the game, uh, but it does still have tank controls. So you're going through these this kind of windy path. You can't see a lot in front of you because that fog is there. You can hear noises all around you, like something's going to come out or something's mm-hmm. coming near you or whatever. Uh, there's no way you can die there as far as I could tell. I didn't stand still to see, but I, no. didn't, I didn't rush either, and nothing was ever visible. Uh, eventually, you think you're going into nothing. Like it's really like you're going through through screens and screens of just this one re- this one pathway, and I thought, no, this isn't the way you're supposed to go. And I went all the way back up and realized, no, the other ways are blocked. So then I went all the way back down. Eventually, you come upon a little well, uh, just to let you feel like I think because it doesn't serve another purpose. But just to remind you, yeah, there is something coming up. Keep going, please. And then you go through even more of this windy path until eventually you get to kind of the outskirts of Silent Hill, which is in in perfect harmony fashion, an old graveyard and an old chapel. What a great intro to a game. Mm-hmm. And let my hats uh, yeah. off. I, I I don't think any intro kind of kind of does such a good job of setting the tone as this one. Uh, yeah, it, you've got the fog rolling in. You've got the uh, for <laughs> you're alone throughout this entire thing. I have stood there forever and nothing occurs. But it sure feels like there is a threat. Uh, it is nearby. Uh, you get the you get the the light. You know, barking at dogs. You get another set of footsteps, occasionally aside from your own that you hear also. Uh, they do such a great job here of just instantly ratcheting up the tension. Uh, I I don't know if they assumed you had already played the first one and you're you're just ready to get down to business or. Uh, they just they just want to get you broke in quickly, but there is no uh, no easing in. You're you're thrust into a uh, a pretty tense little little trek through the woods right there at the beginning. And yeah, I'm kind of like you. I don't know if they made this to kind of fuck with the people that played the first one, but mm-hmm. I, on its own, it's an amazing opening. You know, you are essentially descending into Silent Hill. You know, the the hell that is Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. And in the first game, you know that that descent at the very, very beginning where you go mm-hmm. into, you know, horrible baby hell and wheelchairs and shit like that, where it's just, it gets so unnerving so quickly. You, I was kind of just expecting that, you know, that's what was going to happen in this one too, but it just keeps sending you down this long path of just kind of nothing with some sounds here and there. And those extra set of uh, footsteps just, Oh God. Uh, it, it, it just, you just always think that there's going to be something. But just like the rest of this game, it just completely, for the most part, subverts what you expect it to do. And then you, yes, you you just kind of ease into Silent Hill this time instead of just being, you know, thrust into it in yeah. like the, the most horrifying way possible. Well, and, and to come out on this old graveyard is, is mm-hmm. just another great, you know, great, it's kind of a cliche, but it, it really does set the tone. You run into a person there whose name you don't get. And it's a it's a woman who seems to be a little younger than you, who who seems to kind of have a little more of an idea of what's happened in Silent Hill. But she's just mm. kind of like, yeah, you don't you shouldn't be here. This is not the right place to be. There's something wrong here. Uh, but of course, you're not going to listen to to whoever this woman is. She doesn't attack you. She doesn't do anything else. She's just there to let you kind of know there's other people there. And then you continue to explore and find your way down another pathway to get into Silent Hill, the town itself. At that point, the game becomes more 
graphically like what you'd expect if you've played Silent Hill. It's that, you know, 40s, 50s town. You go from block to block. You have to figure out what to do next. There's there's giant sections of the road missing. It feels like there's some kind of crazy apocalyptic thing that's happened here. And your character is trying to go through this this old abandoned town and, and make his way through it. Um, I know we didn't mention at the beginning kind of how this plays, assuming that you've played the original Silent Hill version of that one. But still, it's, it is a third-person exploration game if you've played a Resident Evil or, or any of the Silent Hills. It's very similar to that. So you can always see your character. You can always see James on the screen. Uh, you walk around with tank controls. You can use items with a, the X button kind of uses and does everything for you. Uh, Triangle will pull up a map if you have a map in almost mm-hmm. every area of the town. And this is kind of my strategy with the Silent Hill, really. It's not even as much with any of these games, but Silent Hill specifically is any new area, find a map as soon as you can. Because mm-hmm. as you explore, the game will update your map to kind of as if you were really drawing all over it. So if you if you have a map of the town and you walk to an area where the road has been ripped out by God knows what, it, on your map it will have a giant, you know, jagged line through there to let you know that the road is, is gone. You can't go through there. So a lot of Silent Hill for me is finding a new area, whether it's inside or outside, and really just exploring everything you can in the area you can walk through without opening doors. You know what I mean? Like, you want to make sure your map is as complete as possible so that you're not kind of having to backtrack if you don't need to uh, and, and to make sure you found everything you possibly can because this is a game that's... Uh, and, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning. I was very excited when I started this game, and you don't just get to pick the difficulty of the game, which is pretty standard. and It just means monsters take more damage or you have less ammo or whatever. But you also get to pick the difficulty of the puzzles, I thought that was an amazing option. Uh, yeah, this one's definitely got some puzzles to it, too. I mean, just like the first one, I, I couldn't you select the puzzle, puzzle difficulty in the first one, or am I crazy? Uh, you may have. I didn't. If, if so, I didn't realize at the time that you could, or maybe it was on future versions of the game, not the base version. I'm not, I'm not sure. But this is the first time I've seen it really anywhere, where there was not just difficulties of, here's the difficulty of the game, and it, it, compare, it combines both or whatever. This was literally, the, there's a slider for puzzle difficulty and for game difficulty. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Which I think is great, because I mean, you're going to have people that are going to maybe want one thing over the other. Maybe they want to you know kind of be able to breeze through combat but they're they're really hyped up you know about the kind of the the aspect and likewise maybe there are people that that want the puzzles out of the way and and just want you know those to be as easy as possible to get through but want a but want good you know a, a lot of difficulty out there fighting through these creatures i think that's an awesome idea there and i don't know of any other series besides silent hill that was really doing that where you you had two difficulties to pick from and you could kind of cater the game um you know how however you wanted to play and i i could say over the years playing through i've i think i've gone through about every every combination there is there and it's interesting how it does change um kind of the way you play through obviously it's it's not going to impact too much in the grand scheme of things, but you can have a much you can have a very different experience uh, just by kind of kind of toying with that a little bit. Saying that though, I don't think any of these puzzles in Silent Hill two reach the uh, levels of oh, no. <laughs> obtuse that that Silent Hill did. Yes. So um, even if you do play it on hard with the puzzles, I, I think that most of them are, are fairly you know you can figure it out you know mm. if you try instead of like the first few puzzles in Silent Hill one. Uh, especially like the piano and things like that, where it was just mm. like, my God, what am I even doing here? Yeah. And and from what I saw, because I, I played the game 
and again, this is my first time playing through this. I played through it on normal difficulty, normal puzzles, just to see. And then I did some research after I finished it to see, like, does it add whole sections? Does it add new puzzles? It does not. It adds difficulty to the existing puzzles. So if you play mm -hmm. through it on normal, you're not you're not missing something that someone playing it on hard would say, oh, no, there's like 25 times more puzzles. It, they're just more yeah. difficult. The clues are a little more vague or there's extra steps involved. Um, but it's not you're not missing out on the experience by playing it on on normal difficulty mm -hmm. all around. Um, so after you come into Silent Hill, you know, the only thing you have on your overall Silent Hill map that you find pretty early is that you want to get to the hotel. That's where you were there with your wife three years ago or whenever. And so you want to head to the hotel. And it's you could not find a farther point on Silent Hill's map than where you start <laughs> from, from this hotel. And, of course, in, in Silent Hill fashion, you try to take the most direct route there. And basically every road to get there is now blocked off. You can't take a direct path there. You've got to figure out what else to do. And so it, th at that point, you just start exploring. As you're walking through this fog, you it does contain the same uh, kind of cues that the original Silent Hill had. So you, uh, you have a radio that you find pretty early on. I mean, literally, before you go anywhere else in the town, you kind of, on the way in, you find that radio. And it lets you, as you get closer to things that are threatening, the radio will start just making static louder and louder. So you kind of have this uh, almost audio radar to tell when there's danger coming. There are not a lot of different enemy types in this game. In fact, outside in the, in the, the regular Silent Hill world, there's really only a handful you're going to see. There are Demons or zombies, I'm not sure what they're quite called, but they just look like kind of weird demon people. And then there are these, they look like mannequins almost, but put together funny, and they walk funny. Uh, but they kind of have the same abilities as the regular people, where they just kind of slowly move at you and will attack you. And, and you just make sure you stay far away. Uh, as you're the everyman, this game does not have a health bar necessarily. It has a picture of, of status when you pause the game. And if it's... You know, looks like a normal picture of wherever you are. You're fine, and as the more and more you get hurt, it gets more staticky and more red. Till eventually, it's like flashing and red, and hard to make out what's there. Uh, there, this game, unlike the original game, and unlike many of the survival horror games I've played, uh, I would say if you're willing to explore, there is on normal difficulty at least ample amounts of both health regeneration and ammunition for your weapons. You don't start with a gun or anything. You have to go find all your weapons, but you get a, a gun fairly early. There's ammo. I'd say just strewn about Silent Hill. I don't think I, I ran into any problems where I was ever running low on weapons at all. Mm -mm. And and no uh, and and that is it is one of the games where um, yeah it's not like Resident Evil where you're counting bullets uh, where you're you're trying to figure out you know can I really kind of afford to have a shootout here or not um, on this one no I there's usually I get through that game plenty of ammunition but. I think that might be because I, I think in this game and I, you know you don't see this that often. This I think it's a Silent Hill. Um, really, the fucking the melee weapons on here. Once you get your timing down with them and just save a a lot of ammunition, you know, for bosses or you know more difficult encounters. And uh, you did mention the the health pickups laying around. Uh, there is a copious amount. Um, really, if you're, you're worried about, um, you know, what's in, what's behind the next door and you want to just keep your health topped off, you can do that. Um, it also, if you are going into the game, know um, that your health level, whether it's staying full or you are, you know, you like play dangerously and let it, you know, lay low for a little while. Um, it's going to, and we'll talk about more later. It's going to impact your ending also. 
Um, that's another thing to to take into account if you're, you know, trying to get a particular ending or not. That um, oh, there's so many just little fucking details in this game. But yeah, very generous on the health and and all the other pickups out there. Um, but I, I I don't know how you got your way out, or do you just go around town swinging that pipe? I I never really had a, you know how much trouble with the ammo or anything like that because i was just always exploring because you know that town is so cool yeah to explore anyway yeah you know there's there's all these little you know things that you can find that's just there you know the infamous there was a hole here now there's not yes uh, and and so many little callbacks to other like horror movies and, and things like that if you just pay attention that you'll see and so yeah I, it was always just my inclination to just rummage around that town anyway because I, I found it so fascinating and it looked so cool at the time. But yeah, I usually just had my uh, you know my melee weapon out because really none of the the basic enemies in this game it, it never seemed like they did much. They were much of an issue until like halfway through the game. Mm-hmm. There was always this very basic shambling enemy <laughs> at the beginning yeah. of the game here, and not, none of them are really worth wasting any ammo on if you know what you're doing. So yeah, I I, I just kind of ran around with with my little melee weapon, and I was I was cool with that, but it 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 gets it gets real soon enough to where you can't just use that all the time. Yeah, no, I think outside in in this game specifically, mm-hmm. um, and I learned this in the first Silent Hill, but you don't have to kill everything. You know, you're used to playing a game like we just talked about Nightmare Creatures, where literally you have to kill everything. There's no you don't have to, I guess, but your goal is to kill everything, and they kind of assume you're going to, and and especially in a smaller area you can't run around things it just doesn't let you they're too big it doesn't the collision detection doesn't work this game is designed so that you are supposed to run around a lot of things so in the outside world i rarely fought anything i would just run and if i saw something come near me and as a as a shadow you're in a giant open street i mean it's like the size of a regular street compared to an actual size of a person so you can just run around these slow shambling things so i i didn't use any ammunition outside unless i absolutely had to and and really inside buildings uh, where it gets a little more tight, I would clear out enemies, and they didn't seem to respawn that often, if they do at all. Um, I would just kind of clear out most hallways so that I didn't have as many mm. problems getting around in these buildings. Um, uh, the, the first building, in fact, you go to, so you're, you're wandering around Silent Hill. Your, your path to this hotel you ultimately want to get to, according to your map and according to the story, uh, is on a, you know, you can't actually get there. There's no path pathway to get there. So you just start exploring. And eventually, on a dead body, you find a key that takes you to these apartment buildings. And the apartment buildings, if you look at the map, once you get there, you're like, oh, I can see. If I can go through this set of apartment buildings, there has to be, like, another exit on the other side that'll take me to this other street I couldn't get to before. And that must be the pathway. And that's something you would have learned in the original Silent Hill. That's kind of how the town is put together. So... You find this key, you get excited to go to this apartment building, and that's it's huge. Like the original Silent Hill, the first few buildings you'd go in were house-sized. So you'd mm-hmm. go through like a living room and a kitchen, and then you're in the other street or whatever. This one starts out flat out. As soon as you go into the first building you can go into that's actually ex- explorable, you are in a three-story, uh, multi, multi-wing multi apartment building. And yeah. it's, it's literally just going from, you know, you, when you first come in, it's a little daunting like the the map you find at the beginning you're like oh there's 13 rooms on each floor and there's three floors here and there's a basement and then all <laughs> so you're like oh my god this can take forever but again in silent hill it's all about you know for me at least i like to explore the area i'm in not going through any doors unless i have you know if i can go through a door then i'm great i turn around and come back at least on my map it shows and i can go through it because a lot of these doors if you're on a floor and 13 doors could be there i'd say only maybe two or three are actually doors you can open 
they're either locked or they're never going to open. And it says like, oh, this door is blocked by debris. You can't open it. Or in some cases, once you walk by it, you just see that there's it's boarded up and you can't open it. And it, it becomes very obvious quickly on your map. There's really only a handful of doors out of each place. But you want to make sure you really explore that. Because many of the puzzles in the game uh, that would get you to, to continue in the plot and everything else sometimes are as simple as you would have found an, a clue or something to figure out a combination or, or how to flip some switches in certain directions. Other times, it's having items. Like, oh, I need four coins or whatever. And you have to make sure you find all the specific items, so you really have to explore to find those. Um, it, I, I loved going into this. The, this, this game, unlike... Okay, let's try that again. When I got in that first building, I was... I mean, first of all, I was really enjoying the game. Anyway. I thought Silent Hill's really put put together well as far as the outside goes, and I get in that first area, and it is a little bigger, so I'm like, oh, great. And it really does a great job of kind of, you walk into that first that first door, and you can't even go into the first floor. It's blocked off. You have to go up to the second floor and then kind of explore a little there. So I felt like I was really only getting a little corner of this building as I slowly build out from it. I, I thought they did a really good job with the level design here to keep it so that even though this is a big, giant area, I really felt like I was only inching through it a piece at a time uh, to, to really get comfortable with it. I, I think that's what Silent Hills like levels have, have always done very well. Mm. Like they 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 just have this. I I don't, I don't know. If I'm I'm guessing they were specifically designed like this or whatever. But it just really feels like you are, you know, you can't just storm through these levels. I'm sure speed runs can, but whenever you're playing through it the first time, it really feels like you are just kind of just inching through, and you don't know what's going to be around this this corner. You don't know what's going to be behind this door. It it really kind of almost overwhelms you with like the <laughs> it's oppressive in a way as far mm. as like what you can what what you're going through and, and what you're seeing and and you just you really don't know what's what's coming around that next corner and i remember playing it back for the first time in this whole area you know in the first silent hill it was school and that was that was cool enough it was just super creepy school but this was more like an apartment building and some of those rooms especially when you know there's the the guy that's blown his head off, you know, with the shotgun um, that you, you can't really see, but it's just kind of there. And there's just so many other little things here and there, especially when it turns to like the, you know, the mm. dark side or the nightmare side. That's just amazing looking. Um, it's just such a strange game that you never really know what they're going to throw, what they're going to throw in here. And and, uh, and this was one of the first games, probably the first game. Um, that I got to where I would be ultimately relieved when a door was locked. Yes, <laughs> one less horrible encounter I was going to have to have going up and down the halls, just uh, you know, teeth gritted every time I checked the door. Uh, so relieved when one was locked because every time you entered uh, one of these apartments, well, not every time, uh, but a lot of times you an enemy encounter there was something just fucking creepy there uh so it was almost almost a relief when you felt like you could just check one door off uh and then continue going but yeah this apartment and the sound the sound goddamn the sound design in this game and i don't think there are many uh playstation 2 games where i'm gonna sit there and brag and brag and brag upon uh the the quality of the sound design of this uh the apartment even though uh it, it's just you exploring it as far as you can see they sound lived in uh it, you, you'll hear breathing 
uh, you'll hear there there's one door uh, that, you know, half the time you play through. I don't know what the odds are. I, I think it's 50-50. Every time you boot it up, there's going to be a whisper um, behind a particular door. Uh, you'll hear sobbing here and there. It, it's just incredible how you'll go through this empty-ass apartment it's just like the woods. It's just like that empty stroll through the woods uh, where it still feels like, even though you don't see anything, that you are potentially surrounded um, and not surrounded by uh, by individuals with goodwill either. Uh, it, it just does such a great job of keeping things tense, even when there is no, even when there are no threats on the screen. I thought this game did a great job of making you feel like at all times, like the first one, I felt like you were just a person in a weird situation, right? I feel like in this game from the get-go, I wasn't sure if anything was real. If it was yeah. just a nightmare, if I was mm -hmm. in hell, mm -hmm. if there was, you know, like I just could not tell exactly what was going on. And, and truthfully, at the end of the game, you may or, may or not still not know that answer depending on the ending you get. But, but I still felt like the first game felt more like I was intruding on something strange where in this game i just couldn't tell am i something strange what what is happening and and yes there's all these crazy sounds in the background the the fact that you know in the first game i thought the change from the regular world of, to the the hell world or whatever the alternate mm -hmm. dimension world was much more like a marked like you go into a door or a certain thing and you're in this other hell world until towards the end i think mm. this game starts out early where you don't know where that switch is just all of a sudden yeah. realize like oh shit i'm in the hell world like i don't know where that change happened and in the first game i think it was much more of a marked departure between the two so mm. that's that's another thing like as you're going through this this apartment i just wasn't even sure like am i in the real world am i in the hell world is there even a hell world in this game like i, I don't really know yet um as you're going through this this apartment building, you will eventually find. Okay, so the way I did this is I explored the town, the, the the building out until I found the exit from the building where you jump through a window into the next building. I apparently missed a whole section of this building where you meet Eddie. Eddie's one of the few other people you'll meet in the town, and you cannot continue the game out of that second building until you found Eddie. So I, I explored the whole first apartment building. I found the window that jumps into the next building, that which is going to connect to the next street so you can continue on your way uh, through Silent Hill. And I, could, I found a door that it just, instead of saying, like, that I was missing a key that Eddie would have given me or something, and then I would have known I was missing a key, it just kept saying, like, this door will not open. Like, you feel like this door won't open. There's a force holding the door closed. So I thought there was something else, like, that just wasn't the way to go. And I had mapped every other exit out. I couldn't figure out what to do. This is the first time I actually had to look anything up. Like, what am I missing? Why can I not figure out how to exit this building? Am I in the wrong buildings? Did I not? Was I was I missing something at the very beginning? Like, should I not have gone to Silent Hill yet? And then to find out that no, I was in the right place, but I didn't go meet Eddie, uh, which is only found by solving a puzzle. And again, we're not trying to ruin the game by solving these puzzles, but this is very early, so. Eh. You, when you're in this this first building, and the first time you go up to the second floor, there's like a trash chute in a laundry room that's mm -hmm. right by the entrance, and you can see there's a thing stuck in the trash chute, right? And so I tried picking it up or whatever, nothing would work. I couldn't do anything with it. No big deal. Later on, as you're walking through here in another area of the game altogether, you find like a six pack of soda or something, 
I can't remember what it was called. It was like six pack of cans or just cans or something. And you're supposed to go back to that trash chute and throw out the six pack of cans and that will knock the thing loose. And then once you have that thing knocked loose, it has a key in it that lets you go outside and, you know, meet the area where Eddie is. And at that point, once you've talked to Eddie, even though it does not in any way have to do anything with getting to the next building, that other Mm -hmm. door mystically opens and you can continue your story. Uh, at that point. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I thought that was the only thing in this game where I was like, oh, that's lame. Like, <laughs> as far as, as the way to continue the story, like, they could have done that a little bit better. But I think I think the rest of the game really pointed you in the right way without making it way too obvious, like, how to continue or, or without making it a more direct puzzle. This was the only thing I really didn't think made any sense. And the entire game was that one puzzle where I was like, oh, I have to talk to Eddie and then this door mystically opens. Like, that's kind of a of a bad puzzle yeah i yes i agree it's it's not it's not anything that you would instantly know to do it, it's it's kind of one of those things that one of the few things that kind of carried over from silent hill one is just one of those little little puzzle things that you're just like i don't i don't really know what the hell i'm supposed to do with this but yeah that 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 definitely is i think probably the, the worst offender of the entire game the rest of it is mostly just you know these kind of environmental puzzles that you just kind of know what you, you need to do. You, you, there's a puzzle there. You just need to figure out the right solution to it. But that one is the most, that one's the, that feels uh, like an old kind of PC uh, adventure game kind of a solution right there. Wait, it, it, again, they could have just easily had a different text. Instead of saying that the door wouldn't open, just to say I was missing a key and when I run into Eddie, he gives me a key. Like that. that's how all these other puzzles in the game work and they all make total sense. That's the only one that I really, really had to look up that I was like, oh, I'm, I'm it, missing this, but I, I shouldn't have. Like it's an obvious answer, but... Just the the fact that that door didn't tell me I needed a key or whatever made it made it weird. Am I being crazy or does it's been like I just know what to do with it at this point? But like the the item itself doesn't it say like should be thrown in or deserve goes in the trash or something like that. I don't think um, it even said that. I thought it was a food item. I didn't even use okay. it because I had so many other healing items that I was like, yeah, I don't need this yet. And then you know I even thought at some point maybe I should use like because in that that same area you also find. Um, your first weapon? I think you find your... Oh, you find... um. What's in the... There's a, a shopping cart with, like, a, a gun in it. And so I was like, okay, mm-hmm. once I got the gun, maybe I can shoot that item or whatever. Like, I wasn't sure what to do. So the fact that it's a, a set of cans, you know, I guess I should have known that. I don't know. I didn't try using every item from a trash chute. I just figured if I could... I, I even thought if I went to the next floor up and used an item, it would knock it down. And none of that worked. So, uh, you know, it, it's not a deal breaker by any means. That was just the first time I was like, uh-oh, is this game going to be full of puzzles that I can't figure out just because they don't make sense? But no, that's the only one. Um, a- after you meet Eddie, who's someone you'll meet several times in the game, you go to the next building, which I had already kind of explored. And at that point, that door opens, and you get to meet a few other people you're going to you're gonna kind of see over and over again in the game. So you, in the game, along with, with yourself and Eddie, who you meet, who's kind of this... He, he seems to be a little bit younger than you. He seems to be a little slow uh, and, and not really sure why he's stuck in Silent Hill or, or why he's here at all. Um, the, the girl you met at the graveyard, you'll meet several times. Her name's Angela. She also seems a little younger than you. She does not seem to be connected in any way with Eddie, but also has something going on that she's there to search for, uh, much like you are. Uh, you also meet someone who you think is your wife fairly quickly. Her name is Maria instead of your wife, Mary. Uh, she looks apparently exactly like your wife, but she's not your wife, and, and it's very clear that she doesn't know who you are. But uh, these are all people you'll run into, along with a little girl uh, who, who you see several times in the game as well, who seems to know who Mary is, your your former wife. Um, but 
But other than that, like it's it's this really cryptic connection between all these characters, and they show up at different times, and you you need to sometimes you know help them out or or drive or drag them through Silent Hill in different ways. I really really felt like this game more than the first game made the other characters that I met uh, more. Not even want to say connected to me because again, some of their stories have nothing to do with you, but but I, they, you had a better connection with them. Like even though Sybil's like a major character in the first Silent Hill, I didn't really feel like she was more than part of a puzzle for most of the game. Where a lot of these characters, I felt like in some ways either I was going to figure out their story or they were going to help tie to mine like I was really interested in where all these characters were going even from the first time you meet them these are are some of the best characters uh, they they're just so there's so many little things about all of them I mean you you kind of meet them and you're just like well they're you know they're they're weird but you know they're there's obviously something more going on with them and I think uh, Maria is probably the biggest one obviously she looks exactly like James's uh, dead wife Mm -hmm. uh, but she does not act like her at all. She's she's much oh, she's overly sexualized. Uh, you know, she's always you know she's dressed in kind of the skimpy miniskirt outfit, and she's always trying to like entice James and things like that, and like uh, you know provoke him sexually and things. So, and so it's just like like something's wrong. You know, from the very beginning of you start meeting these characters, like this something's not right. And you instantly, I don't know how the game does it, but you just instantly get that feeling. Even whenever you first meet James at the beginning of the game, you're like, oh, this dude's really normal, but something's wrong with mm. this game. Everything about mm. this game, there's something wrong with these people. Mm. And it's up to you to kind of figure it out. Uh, really, the kid is the only one that's obviously the innocent. But, and, you know, there's, she's just a kid. There's nothing wrong with her. But, and that, that she's the most normal person in the entire game. Mm. Uh, so you never really suspect anything about her, but anyone else you meet them just like, Oh God, like you're fucking weird. Like what's, what's yeah. wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. These, these, this is a definitely a, uh, a disturbed uh, cast of characters. And yeah, the kid was the one that kind of, uh, kind of threw me off, kind of threw me off guard. I, I, I recall my, you know, my kind of my initial thoughts playing through early. I was like, oh, okay, these are all this. We've got like a, 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 a hell type situation here. And all these people are here, um, maybe for, for something they've done, something like that. It'll get revealed. But the kid was always, um, what, what really threw things off. And I think maybe uh, that was perhaps a conscious decision to to kind of skew if you were having that uh that kind of way of thinking. It's like, oh, well, if that's that's all the people we're encountering. Why is this kid here? Um, but yeah, uh, and it, the game doesn't disappoint either um, uh, with that character or any of them for for that matter. I, I can't talk enough as we go through about how solid kind of the writing in this one is and how we're seeing these characters now as we're playing along. And I don't feel any of them are wasted at any point. I don't feel like any of these are kind of just filler characters or characters that are just, you know, thrown in there. And then later on in the game is like, Oh, what happened to whatever happened to that character? I haven't seen them. Um, no, it's just everybody in here, I, I think plays a great role. Uh, and it's like Jeremy P was saying, you're, you're, very engrossed with these characters and you definitely um you see them throughout the game but they're not shoved down your throat to where <laughs> you're sick of them uh it, it's one of those things that every time you see them pop up uh you're kind of excited because you you feel like you're going to get another piece of the puzzle 
I, I think really about the only thing that I can say that I'm going to say negative about this this entire game is that I don't I don't think the voice acting has held up very well. Oh no! <laughs> but I will say this: I have heard, I have seen people dismiss this over the years as you know even the Japanese version has this very the way everyone speaks in this game except the kid is a very almost monotone emotionless kind of you know just steady speaking thing going for him and i have heard that when they originally cast this in japan in, in japanese that all of these people were, were cast as having a certain mental illness as mm. to where they can't actually project any sort of emotion because they can't they can't fathom the things that they've done or what or what they are anymore mm. so that's why everyone is very monotone and very steady and very just you know there's nothing to them, really, whenever they speak. And uh, even as a kid, I was just like, what's wrong with these? You know, why do they sound like this? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they did that. You know, I can't prove that. To me, it just kind of sounds like bad voice acting, uh, especially for the U.S. I, maybe it was more successful in, in Japan in the, with the Japanese soundtrack or the uh, voices. But it, it always if that's what they intended for this one, I don't know if they really hit the mark because for me it just sounds like someone someone that isn't very good at voice acting is just kind of going through their lines with zero emotion whatsoever. Maybe it's that I watched too many movies. I actually or bad movies, I guess, but I, I didn't think the voice acting was that bad. I know they re recorded a bunch of them for the H D re releases, the Silent Hill yeah. HD collection. Uh, I've heard they're not as good, uh, which is stunning because <laughs> that means they're really bad. <laughs> but they these really aren't that bad. And and maybe it's cause cause I'm also comparing it to like the original Resident Evil or, or many other early CD games where there's like awkward pauses and weirdness just because the game's loading. Like I thought the the voice acting this was fine. I mean Again, not knowing what's real and what's not, thinking that, that maybe this is entirely a dream. You're not even sure what the story is since it's not a continuation of the original Silent Hill. I, I was fine with all that. That had no no concerns at all. And I would say that that all the characters you meet, uh, much like Billy said, you, you're not ever like, hey, what happened to that person? You get closure with almost all of them. I would say the girl is the only one. The young child is the only the only character that, depending on the ending you get, there may be no closure. There may mm. just be knowing mm. that she was there and then she wasn't. I thought for the whole time, and perhaps this is the truth, that she was um, like a younger version of your wife, maybe, or or maybe a child that you had that you have not acknowledged in the game and something else terrible happened to that child. Like, I wasn't sure what her role was. And I, I, ultimately, I don't think it I matters. I she had a role. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think you're right in thinking she's supposed to be innocence, more or less. Me and Billy like could probably sit here and talk like for three hours about the the weird <laughs> bullshit in, about this story, because I remember specifically after I beat this back in the day of going on Game Facts, and oh, this boy. was this was back in the day when you would get not only strategy guides for for the games, but you would get these people writing insane plot synopsis synopses mm-hmm. for these games, and Silent Hill Two had probably the most, and the original Silent Hill as well. Silent Hill 2 had one that it, in later years actually turned out to be right. You know, the, the uh, developers confirmed a lot of what they said was true uh, about these characters and about the problems and the things that they see. And uh, the girl is essentially just, she doesn't really have a role. She's just the innocent in right. all of them. And that's the, you know, that's her role is to show that there's, she's, she's never afraid of anything. She's just in this cool old town. She's like, what do you, you know, I, I think there's a specific point where like James is like, well, you know, don't you see these monsters and things like that? And she's like, what, you know, what are you talking about? 
it, to her, everything is normal because she hasn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. She's just this completely innocent girl. And I think that's there to kind of play off of, you know, all of these horrible people, essentially. Well, at the same time, in the first Silent Hill, you were chasing your daughter and there was there was essentially times where you'd see what looks like a girl running and you'd follow it because that was the whole goal. So I thought part of that, too, was to kind of call back to the original Silent Hill. And even if your assumption was, yeah, she has to be more involved than she is, kind of subvert that by having her not really be a, a massive part of the story, uh, ultimately, you know, to, towards the end. But... Uh, so you, you're in this apartment building. You go to the other apartment building. You meet these. You meet Eddie and uh, and and Angela again. And at some point, as you're exiting the building, you you try to leave by get this this exit to the fire exit or whatever. And this is where you're introduced to who who, in my opinion, is really the bad guy of the Silent Hill series. He's he's not in most other games. He's not in it. He wasn't in the first game. But when you think of Silent Hill, what is the character you think you would think of? Pyramid Head. He's like a, a kind of a skinny looking, but but very uh, like wiry and muscly, but but skinny. Uh, looks like a humanoid thing with a giant sword, and instead of a, a visible head, it looks like he's it, this thing is wearing a giant, I mean ridiculously large triangle slash pyramid uh, metal helmet over its head. So you never see what its face looks like if it has one, and it just slowly you know, goes through areas of this game and, and tries to attack you with this incredibly damaging, if not instantly killing attack that you can easily dodge, but it doesn't matter what you do to Pyramid Head, you can't kill him. In the, the first fight, and this is one that I, I didn't have to look up, but eventually I was like, what am I doing wrong? And uh, I figured I was just, you know, not doing enough damage or whatever, so I, I basically ran through like a five-minute battle with Pyramid Head the first time. Eventually, when you fight Pyramid Head, you hear a siren, and he slowly walks away. And there's no way to kill Pyramid Head, especially early on in the game. There's no way to stop what he's doing. I love Pyramid Head as a boss, as, as a character in these things. I think it's just weird enough to where it's it's kind of like the perfect enemy. It's not a zombie. Pyramid Head doesn't do anything other than clearly try to attack you for no good reason, and then he just slowly walks away. I cannot mm. think of a better enemy, but, but especially for the Silent Hill games, like Pyramid Head is is the guy you think of when you think of Silent Hill, for me at least. Yeah, uh, and it's such a striking look. Um, it's it, it's such an unwieldy look. Uh, it looks like something that, by all intents and purposes, both with the helmet and just the uh, heft of it, it just has to be dragged along. It doesn't really look like something that should be able to be up and moving. Uh, it's it's just such, a, such an odd-looking creature. And, uh, yeah, uh, there's easy to tell why people became such a they became so taken aback by this it's just such a unique look and an interesting enemy in that it doesn't really seem to have any agenda um it 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 attacks you but it's it's not really sure why it's attacking you just like it's not it's not to be understood why it stops attacking you uh it's just such a bizarre uh creature and in a game full of them. Uh, but this one, I think, definitely is also necessary because it's a little more imposing. Uh, we have gone through, you know, gone through town, gone through the apartment at this point in time, and probably just laid everything out, you know, with, with a pipe, or with a, you know, a melee weapon or, you know, a, a gunshot or two here and there. Um, so, so Pyramid Head definitely, I think, represents a, a much greater 
threat. Uh, I mean, the fact that he's he's presented basically as as almost impervious. Um, you know, feels like in a, a game where you're you're starting to get a little bit comfortable. Uh, you finally got one that you are 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 terrified to get near. I, I think it's such an interesting, uh, such an interesting character to put in there. They are in lore and things like that. Uh, it goes much deeper. Uh, there, there are there's a ton of detail as to you know what Pyramid Head may or may not represent in here in Silent Hill Two, um, as far as our our character James goes. But no, I am just I'm on board too. Uh, I, I don't think this character is one of those that they got overhyped, uh, and then you play through the game and it's like, oh, is that it? No, uh, Pyramid Head is just an awesome enemy character. Uh, probably one of the more memorable. Uh, from from the PS2 era, from survival horror, probably in general. I think for me, like Pyramid Head is is the de facto uh, antagonist of the entire game, mm. uh, especially the first time that I was playing through it. And it's something that obviously you'll remember forever. But I think the the iconic Pyramid Head that most people know these days is from the movie. Yeah, I, I think that's what you know. You think of Pyramid Head, that's what you're going to think of. This Pyramid Head does not look as cool as that pyramid head. Uh, <laughs> this one looks like he is literally just wearing like a, a cardboard box over the top of his head <laughs> or something and, and carrying a, you know, cl- a really bad version of clouds buster sword behind mm-hmm. him and doing a really bad job of dragging it behind him as well. Yes. And, and wearing like, you know, a, a guy that works at like a behind the meat counter at Kroger or something uh, as far as his clothes go. He it's, he does not look, he looks weird. Uh, and and I in in some weird way he looks intimidating like a yeah you know almost like a a, an, a, a homeless person that's especially horrible looking you know in a alley you just, he doesn't he's not anything like tyrant from Resident Evil he's just this disheveled looking thing with a giant you know pyramid on his head and with a big sword so you're just like not sure what what you're getting into here uh, but yes and whenever you meet Pyramid Head one of the the first things you see with him as he's fucking a mannequin you know you're looking through a keyhole and you know literally just see him fucking one of the mannequins uh in that in that first apartment building that's <laughs> i didn't think that's I what think, he was doing but that, that is no like that's what he's turn. doing uh <laughs> pyramid head is is I, I i don't i know we're not trying to spoil things but he represents a lot of things that are wrong with james and the as you go through the game it might it still might not really kind of uh explain itself but like once you got to get into the uh you know the lore and and the things of the story and the characters and the enemies and things like that and what the enemies actually represent in the real world Mm -hmm. uh and and you know in their minds pyramid head is a one-to-one connection with james essentially as far as like what he wants so that's why pyramid head comes off as basically this big rapey monster that is you know constantly trying to kill you uh and and not saying any more than that uh, that's kind of what he represents throughout the entire game. Every time you meet him, it's like James trying to beat that back and not being able to, because he just walks off for the next time. And yeah, pyramid head is, is one of the most memorable characters I think in any video game I've ever played. Uh, I don't think it was ever because I was like, man, that thing looks cool. It's just like, wow, that's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen. I kind of just want to run away from it. I think it's a kind of the Michael Myers feel to him right he doesn't look like michael myers by any means but the the thing i i you know a lot of people if you ask what their favorite 
uh, or, or most terrifying, you know, horror villain is, they'll, they might say Jason or Freddy or, or whatever. But for me, it's always been Michael Myers because, one, he looks like any, he looks like a normal person. And I think that while, yes, he looks disheveled and kind of creepy, he still looks like a person with this crazy headpiece and a giant sword. Uh, but it's also that he's, he, he slowly moves. Like, you never see Michael Myers run. He just slowly walks around and shows up at places you don't expect, much like much like Pyramid Head. But also, he doesn't. You can't kill him. It's it's more of just trying to last long enough for him to go away. In Michael Myers' case, you you have to either get him distracted and he'll do something else, or or you have to you know stun him or whatever in the movies. That doesn't matter. But for Pyramid Head's sake, like you know, you wait long enough, and that first encounter. And eventually there's a siren that you kind of hear in the background, and then he just slowly walks away and opens the pathway for you to continue your adventure. But there's other parts in the game where you run into him, and it's just as a thing you have to run away from. There's no there's no fight there necessarily. You'll be going through, like, you know, pathways in, in sections of the game that kind of just seem like they're... Um, endless or a big circle and he's in there and you have to just make sure you avoid him as much as you can you can't ever kill him he'll just kill you in in one or two hits if you let him so you have to just run away from him. he's like a unstoppable force you just have to avoid at all at you know at all times there's no way to to avoid uh dealing with him you just have to kind of just just not get killed and eventually he he goes away or or you just you know it it's i love pyramid head for for being that sort of kind of constant threat that no matter what you're doing I was afraid the whole time through I know once you've played it you know he's only in certain spots but I was afraid once that first time happened he would be around every corner I loved that I mean that kept me on edge for the the entire rest of the game so we've already spent a lot of time talking about the basics of this and again we don't want to ruin the game we've already kind of hinted that there's a lot more going on with James and this backstory uh, a lot of this it does uh, of what Silent Hill is and what you experience is tied to James and his backstory and I 100% request that if you are interested that you play the rest of this game because it really i i was i don't think i've been so into trying to figure out what happened and what's going on with with the overall story and what happened to his ex-wife or what happened to james or what happened to um you know even even the other character like what how do they all tie together what's going on this game does a great job of keeping you interested but at the same time keeping that threat level up super high not just because of the threat of pyramid head showing up but just just the game is built in such a way that you're there's always danger and you know there's rooms you'll open up and and you may not have to go into that room but once you do all go in there there's two or three guys and you have to make sure you take them out real quick two of those demons or or the mannequin enemies uh so you go through the the house there's also an old uh and also an old hospital you have to go through uh as as always just like in the first silent hill old hospitals are a good a good guaranteed creepy <laughs> area to go through i like that there is uh an old prison under the town that you kind of need to explore at some point to continue your path until eventually after doing that and dealing with with all these other character stories you do get to that hotel you intended to go to at the very start of the game to to kind of figure out who this person is that sent you this note and and what they want and billy had kind of hinted this earlier there are several endings of this game if it's your first playthrough i think there's only four endings you can get um there's an ending where basically if you rush through and skip a lot of items, you get one ending. I got what's called the water ending. I don't want to ruin the water ending, except that it looks like it's written, you know, while you're in, in the ocean or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that required me to really explore. Like, I think if you play this game the first time and you're dedicated to exploring, you'll probably get this ending. 
I think it makes the most sense with what happens in the story, what James's background is, what what ultimately the story of Silent Hill 2 is. That's probably the ending I'd say I like the most. Uh, you can also get uh, an ending that is much more focused on this Maria character, who is it looks a lot like your your dead wife, but is not. And there's also an ending with a dog. Uh, <laughs> that mm-hmm. apparently I never saw mm-hmm. the dog. Mm-hmm. I think you only get that after you play through the first time. I don't think the dog's in the original playthrough. Uh, and then if you do have, this game came out in the PlayStation 2, as we mentioned, but it also came out for the Xbox uh, only a few months later, and then the PlayStation like Greatest Hits Collection, PlayStation 2, uh, also PC, that has some additional content. It has these extra endings, and it has some redone voices in certain parts. And with those extra endings, you have a UFO ending that's kind of a throwback to the original. If you remember, the original Silent Hill has this kind of crazy UFO ending you can earn if you go back for the second quest. Uh, this is very much similar. Um, it's really, really tough to discuss this game without ruining this plot. And I, I think we've done a fairly good job of not <laughs> completely ruining the later plot of the game. But but is there anything mechanic-wise that I've that that we've forgotten that you think is worth mentioning before we wrap this up on on the the, the discussion? Uh, mechanic-wise, I can't think of it. But there are just so many little moments um, throughout this game, uh, and so many questions. Um, the the character, without spoiling, the character of Eddie um, presents a presents a pretty a pretty uh, hefty uh, way of thinking. Uh, to you as far as the monsters you see as you as you're traversing through Silent Hill um, and and thinking about it really put me on my ass the first time it came up uh, it, it's just one of those little there's a lot of things that challenge um, the perception of, of your character and I've, of course we're seeing it through basically the the his eyes so there's a lot that that kind of challenges what we are Seeing as we play through, uh, I feel like uh, the characters, I think everyone kind of gets their kind of gets their due. Uh, the two adult characters you've encountered throughout, um, you know, kind of give it a satisfying conclusion. Um, oh God, there's just so many great moments from this thing. There is an elevator uh, trivia game. Uh, you oh, yeah. in an elevator you're heading down and a full-blown a trivia game show uh, and it is probably just one of the most bizarre things i've encountered in a video game before it's so off it's so out of place that it's unsettling it, it's you've got the cheery game show announcer and in in this environment, um, it, it doesn't. I didn't think it came off as like amusing or anything like that. I thought it come off as just very unsettling, and, and compounded by the fact that I think you're on a maybe a three floor building, and the elevator continues down um, the entire way throughout this thing, which is several minutes long. Um, no, there are just so many great moments and great areas to explore throughout this thing and it's definitely one of those games where uh, unless you've played through before if it's your first playthrough uh, i would tell you all the time in the world to to play through it look at everything you can and then definitely at least play through it one more time um i think the endings in this one uh there are certainly some very interesting ones Uh, i think um some of them in particular, uh, without spoiling, there are some where your character um, leaves Silent Hill, and there are some where he's not going to. 
So you've got you've got endings on all ends of the spectrum, and I think those endings all um, kind of if some of them tie everything up and some of them leave things open and you're left wondering, you know, what's next in store uh, for your character. But I, I think this game doesn't really have any throwaway endings to it. Um, I find that a couple of the endings in particular uh, might draw a tear or two out of you if they catch you just right. Um, but no, this is just a beautiful game. And this is definitely, I it gets, it's the high bar for Silent Hill, uh, to a lot of people, I, you know, am one of those people also. And I, I think for good reason. Um, but no, mechanic-wise, I I mean, I think this game plays just as well as it can. It's like you said at the very beginning. Um, I am not a big tank control man, but it, it's never a big deal in this game uh, because I, I feel like the Silent Hill games, with the exceptions of some areas, um, to, to just kind of take your time and explore and you'll you'll reap the benefits of it whether it's finding ammo uh item that you you wouldn't have otherwise or just you know reading some good old-fashioned you know threatening graffiti uh in an abandoned store on an abandoned store wall um i, I just i think it's a wonderfully crafted game and i i can't find too many faults in it i don't think it's like the best playing game out there you know this mm. is an older game mm. it's much better playing a game than silent hill was but you know they they've done what they could with it this is obviously not a modern game so it's there's going to be those issues that an older game would have it is very playable you know it's definitely not anything close to unplayable but it plays of the time it's the rest of the game though is just it's all about experience and just the setting and you know making it through the game there's so many amazing moments in this game like billy said that you know if you're playing it for the first time it's just, it's just fucked up you know it's just fucked up all the way to the very end and that was something this was one of the very first games that made me like think that video games could tell a better story than you know than what a video game had been telling up to that point you know obviously we had metal gear solid and things like that and, and even the original Silent Hill. But this is the first one that really made me think about things uh, and, and just like how, what these characters have done, who they are, what they're actually seeing, where they are, what the setting is. And mm -hmm. generally up to that point, only movies had ever made me think like that. So for Silent Hill 2 to do that, I think that was the first game that really, really pushed those boundaries out there. And the, you know, even though a lot of the, the things in the story can be kind of unsettling, you know, uncomfortable uh, with the revelations that what, what these people have done and, and who they actually are. I think it goes, you know, it really speaks to just how good this game is and how well it handles all of those things that none of it feels terrible. You know, there's, it, it doesn't make you feel dirty at the end. It almost makes you feel sorry for these people, mm. you know, even considering what they've done. So, I think it's just, it, it's almost the video game equivalent of an art piece horror movie of some sort. Like, it just kind of feels like that. Nothing, there's very rarely any jump scares. There's always these weird moments like the game show thing that just kind of has you on edge, like what's going on? Uh, and just these strange things that you're constantly seeing that's making you question all of this stuff. And it's just, it's perfect. It is absolutely perfect of how it handles all these things. And even the endings, obviously you got your joke endings like the dog and the UFO. Mm -hmm. um, but then you've got, you know, 
the water ending and things like that. That's just it's like, God damn, this fuck this game. I never <laughs> want to play it again. And then you instantly go and read about it and you're just like, oh, God, everything about this game's fucked up. Yeah. So, yeah, there's uh, mechanically this game is very simple. It is very much just a survival horror game with, you know, your Resident Evil inventory and, and stuff and your puzzles. But overall, it is just the the story and the setting and the experiences and the moments that you have throughout that really makes this game special. And I'd have to say you say, you know, everything's fucked up and you're right. But I think it's one of the few games that deals with a realistic level of fucked up. Like, yes, the game itself, you know, it, there's Pyramid Head and all this crazy imagery and all these things going on. But ultimately, the story that it's telling you, and by the end of the story, especially, you know, Billy mentioned there, you might get a tear at the ending or not. The the, the, the themes touched on in this game and dealt with are dealt with in, in a way I have not seen a video game do before, necessarily. I mean, movies do it, but even then, how mm-hmm. many movies do it properly? And the answer is not very many, especially if you're in the horror realm. Uh, these These... Very adult themes and very adult concepts are, are handled mm-hmm. very well in this game, I think, where I, I really did. I was at the end of the game. I was, I, you know, I, I knew what was happening more or less. I knew what it was trying to tell me. And, and the ending did kind of, you know, hit me. It was like, wow, that's that's a crazy ending for this. Not, not a crazy ending. That That's a really remarkably touching ending for this sort yeah. of game. Like I was very, yeah. you know, for the ending I got, which again is the, the quote water ending at the end of the game, it tells you after you go through the credits and everything else, like here's the ending you earned and they have names for them. Plus how long it took you, how many times you died, everything else, like, like a resident evil or any of the survival horror games do. And this one was called the, the water ending. But at the end of it, I was like, that is, that's a crazy deep ending like it done very well i was very into it and again it's very hard not to discuss it and i'm glad we didn't ruin the game i believe for people who want to play it the the this is if you like survival horror a great mix of constant threats around you plus some some really good puzzles that have you think but not not anything that's gonna cause you to have to look up like in the first game there was stuff you had to look up zodiac signs and shit this nothing is like that in this game everything you need is supplied in the game and at the same time, the story itself is driving you forward. The characters are interesting. It is an excellent game. And I do have to say, now that I've never played Silent Hill 3, I think I know something I want to cover for next October. I'm hoping well, you guys are interested. I, I was about to say, I think um, come this time next year, uh, we'll be into our, our probably three or four of Jeremy and I going on and on about the best fucking haunted house section in any video game ever. Oh God! Silent Hill. Silent Hill Two is my favorite Silent Hill, but then Silent Hill Three is also my favorite Silent Hill for <laughs> completely different reasons. Well, what I've seen but, online is, is yes, everyone says Silent Hill Two is great, or Silent Hill Three is the best. There, there's, it, it's a, it's, it seems to be a really good line between those two, and that's a good sign. That's a great sign. I think like I, I just kind of compared like Silent Hill or Silent Hill Two as like the, the weird art house horror story. Mm-hmm. Silent Hill Three is the more of the major blockbuster horror story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horror movie that is just it's so perfect it's over the top it's crazy it's fucked up it's just yeah so they're, they're two almost separate games as far yeah. as like what they are and silent hill 3 actually carries the story over from the first silent hill yes so this does. is the sequel that we should or <laughs> we wanted with silent hill 2 
but thank God we actually got Silent Hill 2. Yeah, Silent yeah. Hill 2 is, is so good on its own. It really does expand on the concepts the original game tried to do uh, without trying to force a weird storyline that would somehow tie to that first one. I, I like that it doesn't tie. And I'm also very excited that the third game does somehow tie to the first game. Uh, but, <laughs> but otherwise, we all recommend Silent Hill 2. I would say do not hunt down the HD remaster collection or whatever. Just try to find Silent Hill 2. You can find it. Uh, I mean, I, again, I got my copy from my brother, but you should be able to find that on Xbox uh, or or ever or PC even. And, and it's the original version of the game. Just go ahead and hunt that down. And, uh, and it has the extra endings and everything else. That's the way to go. covered Silent Hill 2. We've finished our Halloween coverage for 2020. We hope you guys have enjoyed all, all the games we covered. Again, if you don't follow our bonus feed, we covered both Nightmare Creatures and Super Ghouls and Ghosts for the Super Nintendo. A game's well worth hearing about. Uh, again, only if you're a patron member. But if you aren't a patron member, there is a way you can come to us with a question you have and we will answer it. If you go to Retrovania.net, there are links there to all of our social media pages, plus the Patreon I just mentioned. Plus, at the very bottom, there's a question form. You can put in any question your heart's desire, and whether or not you're a patron, we will gladly answer your question on the show like we're going to do right now. We've got some super spooky questions this uh, this And I, I am. God damn it, I am ready for them. All right, well, get ready, because Late to Gaming is wanting to know about, well, he's writing in about Super Mario Bros. 35. Hey guys, question for the podcast. What do you think of Super Mario Brothers 35? Which other classic titles would you like to see get a similar game? You guys always put on a great show, and I thank you for continuing to inform and entertain. I think I, I like it. Neat little addition there. You know, nice little free thing they've thrown in. Um, I, I love Tetris 99. I mean, it's it's the same basic, same basic structure, same basic gist of it, except you're you're playing through these these Mario levels from the original. And and I love how um, you know people uh, can impact what's going on on yours. You know, I, I think it's great. Uh, it's a nice novelty. Uh, I you know I don't see it being something I would play. And and that might be a wise move. I, I don't think it's anything two years from now. I'm still going to be jamming away on it. Um, that's, I mean, that's a format you could apply uh, to a lot of those early games. You could very well take that first Legend of Zelda and do a similar, you know, map by map thing on there. You know, it, it's easy enough. I think it applies to a lot of the games, um, especially if they had kind of a level by level nature to them um it, it would be kind of hard to throw it into into some games but no uh mario 35 for me um it is good it, it's still one of those great oh i've got a few minutes to waste games and it can get pretty fucking tense um when you get down to that bottom handful i, I can't say that i've had the uh, i've had the old shaky hands playing the original mario in quite some time until this one came around so I've played a lot of Mario 35, and it's nowhere near as good as Tetris 99. Now, you, you mentioned both, and I don't think 
Mario 35 is bad by any means, especially as a free game, right? Let's let's throw it out the top. I mean, it, you have to pay yeah. for the Nintendo Online service, well, I, so it's not free. Well, I think I think I think Tetris I think applies more. I think it applies a little smoother. Oh, to, oh to Tetris. So I thought at first when I heard of Tetris 99, it would just be this chaotic mess, but it's really not. It's done really well, and and especially towards the end, it is maybe the most tense gaming. If you get to the top 20 on Tetris 99 for a round you feel mm-hmm. like you've accomplished something, right? And, and it gets harder yeah. and harder, I mean, exponentially from that point on. I mean, I think from 99 to 50 is kind of just play Tetris, and if you're not sucking at Tetris, you'll probably make it, assuming you don't just get a bad luck round, right? That always happens. But generally, like, the first, from 99 to 50, you know, placements, you're good to go. And then after that, it gets much harder, and then the top 20, you feel like, oh, my God, every step forward is, is a huge mm-hmm. step in skill. And especially at the top five or whatever, like, you've made it. If you don't win, like, I feel, if I get to the top <laughs> 10 in Tetris 99, I feel like that's a great round. Uh, yeah. Mario 35, I feel like, it, okay, so it, if, you, if you understand the core gaming concepts of Tetris, it's easy to understand how that would, would appeal to a two-player versus audience. If you take... Line, you know, if in Tetris you clear a line out, it sends that junk line to your opponent. That's very clearly, if you're playing two players with somebody, that's how it works. So with 99 people, it's just different people sending you their junk and you sending different people your junk, um, which is what I do on the internet nowadays on Twitter. So yes. please don't follow me on Twitter. Yes. Um, Mario 35 is a little more chaotic because it's the same idea, but it's like every time you jump on, you know, a Goomba, that Goomba will show up on another person's screen. And, and at the same time, if a certain person is targeting you, while they're playing the game and they jump on a goom it goes it, it just become it's not as balanced and what i found with with mario 35 is if i play incredibly slowly and incredibly defensively through the first level only it gives me a massive massive benefit because you just get towards the end and the screen is just filled with enemies and you just find a good green um a green turtle shell and knock it into everybody it gives the other people that you're targeting a whole bunch of crap on their screen it adds a whole bunch of time to your counter because that's the benefit of clearing the the screen of enemies is every time you kill an enemy in a mario game in mario 35 you get time added back to your clock so it, i don't know i don't think it's nearly as balanced i think if you play it defensively at first and then offensively later it's a huge benefit and you can find ways to game it a lot easier than tetris 99 it's still a load of fun i really really like it and as again as a quote free thing in honor of the 35th anniversary of super mario brothers it's an amazing amazing thing so i'm not trying to in any way shit on it i love it i think it's great I don't think there's other games that that's going to work incredibly well with. Like, you mentioned Zelda, and that's the first thing that came to my mind, because it's the other Nintendo property. But I don't think that you can do a Zelda game incredibly well-balanced and have it be the original Legend of Zelda. You can take the concepts, where it's just, like, the first dungeon to the first, the fourth dungeon, and then as you do things, it changes the dungeon. I, I don't know how that would even work with multiple people. I thought about all their other games, and the only ones I can think of that would make a lot of sense are the more arcade titles. Like, you could find some of the, like, Kung Fu. You could turn Kung Fu into something like that, maybe, but who would want to play that? Maybe uh, maybe Urban Champion. I wouldn't want to play it, but you could play hey that Ultimate, hey, yeah, thir- Ultimate Champion 35. We're, I think we're onto something here. Or uh, Urban Champion 35. Stuff, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's another game that would work as well as, as Mario 35 until you start looking for other puzzle games. I think you could do a Dr. Mario 35, a Dr. Mario 99. I'd play those games. Like, there's any puzzle game, anything that had this kind of two on, one-on-one logical combat in it, it would be a lot of fun. But otherwise, no. I, I don't know if there would be another game I'd want to see it on. But I am loving Mario 35, and I think it's great. 
I, I'm kind of with you. I think I was kind of hoping they would just continue going along with their puzzle games, like, you know, Dr. Mario, Yoshi's Cookie, Wario's Woods, something like that. Mm. I think those games lend lend themselves much better to be that type of game where you're playing with a lot of other people. Mario 35 is neat, uh, but I, you know, after playing it a few times, I'm just like, I don't know if I want to play this anymore. The only other game that I can think of that I would love to see Nintendo actually try with this would be something like WarioWare. Like where you would just, I don't mm. know how they would do it, but like all the rounds in WarioWare anyway are super quick. And if you could do it in such a way where everyone is competing at the same time and make it as stupid as WarioWare actually is, I think that would be <laughs> incredibly fun. And, you know, it, it would always be something that I wouldn't mind losing because I never mind losing in WarioWare because it's, you know, it's meant to, to make you hate yourself for the most part. But, yes, I, I, I think Mario 35 is cool, uh, but it's just it doesn't quite that gameplay just doesn't quite lend itself to, to what they're trying to do with that whole battle royale thing, which is a neat idea of putting those games in there and even trying that. But it, puzzle games obviously work the best for that kind of style. And I think Tetris did did it so well the first time that anything else <laughs> that follows it up is, is going to have to be measured against that. And it's damn hard because Tetris is pretty fucking great. Uh, anyway, thank you, Late to Gaming, for writing in. And the next question is going to come from Big Ed. And uh, he, writes, <laughs> he writes in to say, why should Big Mike get all the fun shout-outs? Oh, <laughs> and the Amico. Hey, guys, I just wanted to see what you all thought about the big Intellivision reveal this past week. In case you missed it, we got two videos. The first being an absolutely bizarre tech and hardware tour of the Amico where things like light shows and air vents were spoken of in depth. I'm honestly not sure who this video was for. The second video is where the real fun starts, however, since we finally get to see <laughs> all those super exclusive Amico games for the first time, except that it turned out almost none were exclusive, and most were either mobile game ports or free Flash games that you can play in your web browser right now. Oh, and they all looked really bad. If you haven't seen these, please watch them and then answer my question, which is, is the Amico a, a complete scam at this point, and who would ever buy this? I think there's one person on this podcast that's totally going to buy this. Yeah, it's uh, me. It's me. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's Jesus. not a scam. It's not a scam. I, I mean, maybe it never happens, and, and I don't know what their policy is on if people who have already paid, if they're going to refund or not. I, I, I know nothing about the current version of the Intellivision amico company right but i think it's a misguided attempt i think it is a a an idea that you'd think like i have a lot of terrible ideas right one time i thought i would do this podcast with some friends about video games right and, and i have a lot of terrible plans like that but a lot of them are thankfully like you you sober up the next day and you decide you're not going to do those things like oh we should start a food truck and drive to boston like thankfully i have not done those those things have not occurred and i think the amico is very much similar to an idea that you'd come up with and then you you share it with people in the same tiny bubble that you are and they're just as excited as you are about this idea without thinking like does this thing need to exist outside of the 10 people in this room like would the, all 10 of us love this thing sure but does it need to exist i don't know and then past that they they just kept building on it to where now like I think the system is $200. I may be wrong on that. It might be more. But I think it's 200 bucks for the system. And 
we watched both. I watched. I think we all watched both of these videos that were mentioned. There's a tech video that gets into the most pointless details of a system, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yes, I, I know that the PlayStation Five looks like it's huge, and that the Xbox Series X. What the hell is the new Xbox called? It's got some crazy name that I can never tell which Xbox is which. Yeah, you got it one. right. Xbox Series X. Yes. Oh, I didn't even write that down. Good for me. Five points for me. Um, but it, it looks like it looks like a toaster. It's giant. It is a massive box. Both these things are huge, and I think they're kind of ugly and they're they're unseemly. Where the Amico, the the video is about. Oh yeah, it's it's this tiny unit and it stores the controllers inside the unit itself, which is what the original Intellivision did. I understand what they're aiming for, and. But then they also discuss how the airflow is a natural airflow based on the way the system is built. And then they're, they, they, it gets into all these little details that, that people that are going to help you fund the system may think are amazing. But people who are buying the system to play could give two shits about. It does not matter. And I don't know why they had a whole video on it uh, that they shared with everybody instead of just a bunch of games. Now, we watched the second video. And my thoughts on the second video are exactly what you said. Uh, most of those games are either... Uh, not impressive, or there are things you can find on Steam or iOS or Apple Arcade with some minor tweaks to say that there are exclusive versions of those games. The ones that I would say are in any way exciting are the games that they pulled from the original Intellivision lineup, like Night Stalkers, Biplanes that was in triple action, uh, their Astro Smash, which admittedly does not look great, but I loved Astro Smash, um, the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, uh, Cloudy Mountain, or whatever they're calling their that version, because I think they lost the AD&D license. Those games redone with new graphics and some kind of multiplayer tweaks so that it's set up to be something you only want to play with other people look really, really cool. And the idea originally was that they'd be $35 a piece. And so if, if I had this thing in my house that I could pay $3 and get an upgraded version of a game that I played when I was three years old with my dad to play with my kids, even twice, it's worth 3 to $5. But the rest of what they're aiming at, I, I mean, to aim a console at a dude my age with kids that were my age <laughs> 35 years ago that wants to play the same games he played with some minor modified tweaks is is the dumbest audience you can aim at. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if I want lights, I'll go out and buy fucking lights. I, I don't need my console. To, to put on a damn light show. And, and yes, and I'm watching this video and I, I, I'm getting just progressively more and more annoyed <laughs> as it goes. And who's supposed to sit through this? Yeah, uh, maybe this is an investor thing, but to present this to like people, uh, you know, people that know anything about games, they really don't give a shit. They're not interested in your, your thing anyway. And I guess new people you're trying to pull in with your, your non intimidating fucking light-covered box. They don't know what the fuck you're talking about. They don't know what you're, you're rattling about. And these games look horrendous. And and yeah, and, and some of these games, if, if you like them, you don't have to wait. You can go play them right now elsewhere. Um, and good Lord, and this is where Earthworm Jim's coming to fucking die also. Um, he died in Earthworm Jim 3D. He's coming back to and die well, again. They dug... Well, they dug the corpse up and they taped a broomstick to its back to prop him up. And he's going to he's going to die again on here. And I don't know. I and, and is it a scam? I just because, you know, not all scams are things that don't get released. It can still get released. 
and be a fucking scam. And and that's what uh good lord. I don't I'm baffled by this one. I, I really am. I don't know how this thing can exist at that price point. Um now. And I don't know, you pick one of those pick one of those up and write into us and let us know how it's treating you. I don't expect to hear anything from anyone. Well, I, I promise you, Billy, uh, if it does actually get made, I will own one. I'm going to own one. Uh, unless, of course, uh, I I can't afford one. If it goes up from $200, yeah. I will probably not get one. But but if it comes out at 200 bucks, I will have one. I'll let you know what I think. And, and, and I really do Ooh. like the idea of having a an Intellivision game system in 2020 slash 2021, I guess, because it's not coming out this year, that would be able to let me play games on the, you know, of the original Intelligent format with slightly better graphics or way better graphics, but still have the same mechanics that I can just play. I, to me, that that's appealing, but that's, that's a, such a, a narrow market. Like, I know that I am an asshole with 200 extra dollars laying around that I'm going to throw on this thing. I can't say it's worth it if you if you have not played the Intellivision previously, I don't know why you would target this at anyone who had never played the Intellivision. It, it is a, the most bizarre concept uh, that they're really pushing forward. Man, watching that gaming reel was was <laughs> certainly a thing. I, I mean, it. Lit I think I told you guys it looks like they have made a console for exclusively for all of those Walmart like shovelware games that sit over there. Kind of besides the you know the console games, you got like you know, dinosaur pinball or something like that. You know, it just it looks like it is a console made exclusively for those games because that's what everything looks like. Especially when they started rolling out like cornhole and things like that. Oh, the cornhole was the worst. That was the worst cornhole. reveal. <laughs> oh, and there's so many of them. Like there was that fish game that looked like it was running at like ten frames per second. Like everything about this looked absolutely terrible the mlb game stunningly well, terrible so, looking so again that that's another one that i'd say again if you were an intellivision owner and and again i think we're on the the ass end of that right like we're the youngest people who could say we were an intellivision or atari 2600 owner uh when they were current right so i mean for for people that i i know i, I know there are people older than us we're not 99 years old but i mean for people that I talk to regularly about games, we're really on the end of that. And and their that MLB game, like that was the biggest thing with Intellivision at the time was their sports lineup was compared to again, Atari, because that's all you had to really compare it to. Yes, there was Odyssey and the Vectrex and all these other games, but but in the market you had the Atari twenty six hundred and then the Intellivision was trying to compete with that. And their sports lineup was way better. I mean worlds better on, on a level, you know, it, it's like if you compared Nintendo to PlayStation for for sports, right? It's not the same playing field at all, and that's kind of how Intellivision felt for sports titles. You know, you look at football and you look at baseball. Like Home Run on on Atari was their big baseball game, right? And it was a baseball game with three players on the field: a pitcher and an outfielder and a catcher. Like there was no, <laughs> you didn't have a full team. And then all of a sudden, you play the Intellivision version, and you had nine people in the out and and the playing in the field, plus the batter, and it, it just looked like an actual baseball game. Yes, it was very crude compared to what you'd see today, but those sports titles were a world above, and they had the actual licenses. Like, they, they, there were no Atari games that had the MLB license, and yet 
and television got all those actual sports licenses. And even if it wasn't from the MLB, they got the MLB, what, Player Association as their license. So they had actual teams and actual, you know, kind of like a, a the clout to be a real sports game. So that was a huge deal. But again, if you weren't, if you weren't part of that, that background then you, you just wouldn't get why that's a big deal. So, yes, I, I get what you're saying, and I think you weren't in the same boat as me, which is why you don't get why that's a big deal. But, again, no one else is either. I'm the only person that I, that I think I know that would defend that concept. And I'm only defending it because that's how it was, not that I think it's a good idea. Well, at least it's not the Atari VCS. Well, of course. But, uh, no, I think it's going to come out, and we'll, and I will I will play it and tell you about it. I don't think it's a scam, but I do think it's a terrible idea. Yes, we, we will see how this goes. It did get delayed into 2021, so maybe at some point in 2021 we will actually have the Amico here and we can, well, at least Jeremy P. can tell us how it is. Um, but yes, anyway, thank you, Big Ed, for writing in. And our next question comes in from Ben B., and he's writing in about Jet Set games. Hey, guys, just wanted to see which game you prefer, Jet Set Radio or Jet Set Future. I recently played both again and definitely prefer Future, with the roller coaster level definitely being a major highlight. I, I hate to, I'll just, I'll go first. I hate to break it to you. I've only played <laughs> Jet Set Radio. I have not played Future. Um, I, I don't have a dog in this fight. I will say very kind things about Jet Set Radio, though. I, I did enjoy it. Uh, I, I thought it was a very interesting game. It had a great look to it. Um, I trolled a little shoddy. So if, if Future is better than, than having not even played it, I'll say I enjoyed Future more. I will I will say I got this question because it came from a, a patron. It came through our Patreon, so I got it first. And I had not played Jet Set Radio Future since it was released. I had it on Xbox. It was a pack-in along with um, GT... Something, a racing game I could give a shit. Oh, Sega GT. Uh, it was Sega GT and Jetset Radio Future on the pack-in, on the version of Xbox I owned. So, I bought an Xbox solely because the Dreamcast had died, and Shenmue 2 was only going to come out on that in the U.S., and uh, along with the, the Jetset Radio Future, the sequel to Jetset Radio. So, I had played both, and I hadn't played Jetset Radio Future since that time. But I had played Jetset Radio more recently because it was re-released for the, the Vita, I guess, as a remaster. And at that time, I was like, yeah, this is fine. This is fun. And so then after I got this question, I happen to still have the original Dreamcast version of Jet Set uh, Jet Grind Radio in this country. And I do have Jet Set Radio Future on the Xbox 360. So I played about half an hour of both. And I have to say, Jet Set Radio Future is worlds better. It controls better. It looks way better. I mean, it, it's not fair to compare a Dreamcast to an Xbox to, to say, you know, what's... What's equivalent, because they aren't the same generation, but the Jetset Radio Future does look much, much cleaner, but it doesn't drastically change the game. A lot of the times we complain, or I complain at least, about sequels that are basically just like, yeah, here's the original game with like a little minor tweak. Like, you know, we, we've talked about uh, things like the Mega Man games, where the difference between Mega Man, you know, five and six is that oh in, in six he has a new hat you know like it's not, it's not something that's like yeah that's worth doing and it's kind of a negative but at the same time i don't want a game in in the case of a game that only has one or two versions that has drastic differences right so jets at radio future has the same concepts and the same gameplay as the first game but it's the control is definitely a lot tighter and it looks better 
So I, I would go with Jet Set Radio Future. If you've never played either one, there's no reason that you need to play the original to play Jet Set Radio Future. Um, but, but at the same time, the original, just like Billy just said, he had nothing bad to say about it. Neither do I. I think the original still plays really well. I know that we have a few listeners that do not care for it because they have told me so in the past, but they are wrong. It's a good game. But I think Jet Set Radio Future is, is a superior game. I've only ever played just the tiniest bit of Jet Set Future, which is weird because I remember really enjoying what I did play. But all of my nostalgia goes with Jet Grind. Also, it has a Rob Zombie song in it, so it is automatically the better game. Uh, But anyway, thank you, Ben B, for writing in. And our next question comes... Okay, listen, this this question... um, Have mercy on my soul for reading this. It may take a minute. I bet it's about Seaman Grandpa. No, it's not. It's this this dude that I had to edit for like 20 minutes to get this fucking thing readable. <laughs> okay. Next question comes in from DJ Dos Muchos, and he's writing, writing in about retro gaming praise. Hello, my name is DJ Dos Muchos, and I grew up in Yuma, Arizona. I'm 40 years old and came across your show on iTunes when I searched for Sega CD and immediately went right into the Willie Beamish episode. I bought my Sega CD with five games packed in back in... 1993, and I agree with Billy, I'd both like to see a Sega CD Mini and also mm-hmm. not to see one as well. <laughs> anyway, I'd like to see anyway, I'd like to say you guys are the most interesting video game podcast I've come across. I love the story oh. of how Billy went into the hood for his PS2 and got into yes. some down and dirty bartering, bartering and trading for it. I would have pulled the same move with the expansion port missing. Mm-hmm. Before I go ahead and decide whether or not to put, get my Patreon account, I would like to know if, I, if it would be possible for you guys to do an episode on your favorite and least favorite sports games. I've heard you guys talk about a few here and there, and you all seem to have at least some common interest in them, and I think that would make for a fun episode. Anyhow, I wish to bless you guys with 500 more episodes of stellar coverage of games from our youth. P.S. Why no mention of the Cripes gang in Willie Beamish? a.k.a. John Hughes movie members. So you guys take it easy, and God bless you and your families. So basically, would we do a sports gaming podcast of our favorites and least favorites? And- so uh, as a concept, if we were going to do a show that was about our favorite and least favorite sports games, let's say for each sport, right, each major sport, I would be down with that. I think the difficulty is our normal show is formatted in where we talk about one game. For, for conceivably an hour-ish, right? Uh, half an hour, 45 minutes on, on the bonus because we only do specifically game talk and that's it. Uh, and while I have many, many fond memories of playing Blades of Steel and, and Double Dribble and, uh, and on the Turbo Graphics, I could talk about how much I like TV sports football. Uh, I don't know, what can we talk about for, for half an hour to 45 minutes about a standard sports game? I mean, we can say about like, yeah, it, it does this really well. It does. It does. You know, uh, the the defense on this game is way harder than than the offense, and therefore it's difficult. But we're not going to explain the rules of football. Like I, I don't feel like like explaining how a sport works that everyone should know the basics to. Not like I don't feel like I think that's boring. I don't think anyone wants to hear us talk about the rules of baseball. That that is not an interesting podcast. So the only sports games we've done are are a handful of like I think we did TV sports football. I think we've done, um, I mean, if you count fishing, maybe we've done fishing. And, and I think a couple racing things here and there. Like, there's not a lot of sports we can talk about without just explaining the sport and then saying, like, yeah, this game does this well or not. Uh, that's very difficult. But if, if, the, if the episode was 
let's each discuss our favorite sport game on this sport and why, and we go through five sports. That, that's not a terrible idea. I, I, I don't yeah. hate that idea, but I, I don't yeah. think we can do a full episode on why uh, Madden 97 is a good or bad Madden. Like, that's not that's not a, game, a podcast <laughs> I can pull off. I, I'm sure there are people who could discuss in, in detail why every single Madden is different than mm. the other, but that's not me. Yeah, and, and agree. It would have to be kind of a sports spectacular. Um, kind of, kind of focusing on on several, and, and yeah, I, I I do think the maybe each person presenting favorite and and least is probably probably the best format for that. Otherwise, yeah, I, I mean that's the thing with sports games; they don't, uh, with the exception of every, they they don't change too much. But I mean, I think a show like that could be could be enjoyable. Yeah, I think I think we could pull that off if we just did, you know, our favorites. I think Fighting Game Month could have been pulled off if we did all those ep- all those games into one podcast. <laughs> uh, that would have that would have probably worked a little bit better. But um, uh, did any the uh, the Cripes Gang? Did you guys notice that that was John Hughes movie movie I, members in that? I didn't, but I, I'm going to be fair. Uh, I did not get all the way through that game, and I was having a lot of problems with the speed of it to get to get far enough to, to note those things. I was more interested in, in talking about my difficulties getting as far as I did. So, no, we did not mention that. This was, you know, I mean, sorry. I'd love to say we're experts on every game we talk about, but obviously we can't be unless we're only going to talk about, in my case, Kid Icarus and Goonies 2. So, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it as if, as in some cases, especially that game, we had never played it before. We, spent, we played it for a week and we talked about it. Uh, that's not something I picked up on. Uh, but yes, thank you, DJ, for writing in. And uh, just a reminder, you know, if you do decide to do the Patreon thing, you can actually force us to cover John Madden 97. And we will, <laughs> you know, actually, I don't know. Like, is that something that we would actually do? If someone forced us Let, let's, to do... Let's be totally honest. If somebody... Had, okay, so, yeah, if you want us to cover Madden 97, join our Patreon, and it's very possible that we would have to cover Madden 97. Do I think that would be an enjoyable episode? Probably an enjoyable episode probably not but we can do it we would cover any game you'd like uh within the the systems that we can cover uh and and that's part of the benefits of joining the patreon all right again thank you dj for writing in our net and our next question is from joey m and he's writing in about castlevania i don't remember what episode it was on but jeremy g once went on a rant about how he was hoodwinked into buying the japanese version of castlevania symphony of the night and how miserable of a time he had trying to figure it out without being able to understand the text. Well, good news, because he might have the last laugh after all. Go on eBay and see what people are paying for the Japanese version these days, not far off from the American version, which is already now in ass-white money territory. Sometimes there's an unexpected bright side to import gaming. Uh, yeah, this it's uh, really weird these days. It is completely flipped from when I was importing games back when I was, uh, you know, the whole like PlayStation Dreamcast era. That was when I was really big into imports. Like that back then, just about anything you would get would start at around eighty dollars, and and Symphony of the Night was around I think around eighty to a hundred when I got it. These days, though. That has completely flipped. Anywhere me and my brother go on the weekend to like these video game stores and things like that, imports are dead cheap these days. Like you can find numerous Super Famicom games, uh, import PlayStation Saturn games, even like the good Saturn games, like you know the, all the Capcom games, things like that. All that stuff, you know, only goes up to maybe like fifty bucks. And then in the same case, just to you know, right down the way, you've got Marvel superheroes for the PlayStation One for like around 150 to 200 dollars 
which is just insane. So I would almost say if you want to get into a, a decent import collection these days, check check out a, or a decent retro gaming collection, check out import games because that's that's where you get the cheap shit. And if you can get by the uh, you know the Japanese and all that stuff, which you can easily do through the internet, check that out. You also get like way cooler packaging and instructions and things like that. I don't know if you guys really ever got into import gaming at all, but um, that's that. Yeah, it's it's dead cheap these days. I didn't. I was never into import gaming. Um, I mean, I had played some imports, but I had never bought a bunch. It was mainly to see what was coming soon, or, or in the rare case of a game that was not coming here, that was not something I needed to read. Uh, I mean, I, I like the concept. There was nothing like, I was like, no, F import gaming. I just, it was never a thing I really was into. I, I didn't, you know, it was something that I just kind of got into around the PlayStation days. I remember my first import game was Rage Racer, because I thought that game looked super fucking cool. And from there, it just got way worse. I went into like the whole Saturn, you know, I had a Japanese Saturn, had the, uh, the original Japanese Dreamcast when it came out. A lot of crazy, a lot of spending way too much money on imports back in the day. And it's, it's just really weird to see how much that's turned around. And in fact, like last year, me and my brother went to a, uh, a convention here in the city and they had a bunch of GameCube imports which I had never actually seen. I'd never seen a, a import GameCube game. And they're so cool. Like the packaging is amazing on those games. I wanted to buy a lot of them just so, you know, I, I don't have a, a Japanese dream, or GameCube, but they were so cool that I just kind of wanted to own them. And I think that's what you get with a lot of those uh, imports from back in the day is just how intricate the packaging was and how many different extras that you got. Like Symphony of the Night came like a, with a full art book and everything. It was like a full package compared to like what we got here was like some shitty black and white instructions and stuff like that. So I, I think your dollar goes a lot further if you can find complete stuff on the import scene and you I, also get a lot, lot cooler stuff. I would say with that specific case with symphony of the night as a pre-order, cause I used to work at electronics boutique, which is now GameStop. Um, we, as if you pre-order the game, you got a cool art book and a soundtrack CD. So I think it's the same stuff that came with the Japanese, but just, you know, kind of slapped together for the, the American audience, uh, but only through pre-orders. So that's really cool. But yes, I would have much rather had it in like a cool package that I could keep around as opposed to now I have the art book and CD just kind of slapped into, you know, a, a CD binder next to my other games because it was stuff I had for free at the time. Yeah, and I, I didn't really mind paying for, you know, the extra money for all that stuff because, you know, once you got the, the package and saw just how much work and effort they put into putting all of these things together and the in incredibly high quality instructions and the paper quality and all that stuff. It didn't feel like I was being cheated out of money. It just felt like I was getting a higher quality version of the game that would eventually come out here in the U S. Uh, but yes, uh, thank you, Joey, for writing in. I will, con I'm, I'm actually starting to think about starting up like a new import collection these days, just because of how cheap a lot of that stuff is. Anyway, our final question comes in from Matt. And he's writing in about Billie Holiday, oh. not the famous, not the famous jazz singer. No, just a regular man. Yeah, yeah. I've been listening to the podcast for many months now, but I've never come across your website, and I wish I never had. Oh, oh. it turns Dang. out that Billie is not, in fact, the lo lovable bag vagabond from the 1800s, all straw hat and suspenders, working field to field, barefoot with a corncob <laughs> pipe. What? They say never meet your heroes, and now I think I understand why this is the case. <laughs> Billy's epic accent is matched only by your great opening music, which no other podcast of your type can top. Oh. While, your, 
Well, there we go. We got, you know, getting what we can here. While your Patreon scheme is a clever revenue generator, what with the five-month wait time to suggest a game, it's a it's too long of a time to hook up to hook my sense of anticipation. Between this and the shattering realization that Billy's existence as a contemporary man, I can offer you no dollars at this time, mm. but keep up the good work. Well, I I am glad to offer to your enjoyment, but I am also. I, I also apologize for any for any letdown I may have caused along the way. Uh, but yes, I am just a common man, everyday man, and I also have a short attention span, so I, I, I can understand. But I mean, you say at this time, uh, so I mean, let's say you just you wait another month and you think about it, you think about it another month after that. I, I mean, those are months that, that could have been had. Uh, it it could have been. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's probably time Jeremy P puts in that, that hundred dollar, you know, tier, um, or maybe even that, that, that fabled thousand dollar tier, uh, where as soon as that, that pledge comes in, he just calls all of us, no matter what time it is and says, all right, boys, we're recording something right now. Maybe that instant gratification tier. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't sure how to price the Patreon. Uh, also, Yes, it is a revenue generator. I mean, technically, if you're gonna you're gonna look at at the retrovania.net books, uh, it does generate a revenue. Uh, that is not the same thing as generating profit. Uh, it does not it does not need to necessarily. It's covering our costs. It, it's paid for our hostings. It's let us buy some nice microphones so we sound very clear. Uh, many things we've needed to make this a a consistent podcast is what the the patron money goes towards, and, and we're very, very appreciative of it. I mean, we'd, we'd probably still be a podcast without it, I suppose. But uh, the, the other part is, if you want to join the Patreon, you get a guaranteed two extra bonus shows a month that you don't get any other way. I don't repost these with edits, or I don't I don't take things out of it and and just, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you get you get this for free now, and it comes up later, two months later for everybody else. The, the, the bonus episodes, which now we're at like 30 and counting are are completely only for patrons so if you like the show you know i i recommend it that you you put some money in and and get these bonus shows but at the same time i understand i you know this is not important but i i recently have lost my current job and that is not a problem i'm still you know existing and i will find another job someday and that's great i do not expect this to become my 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 the way i i afford to live but I understand that money is tight for many people or that this isn't that important to you and you don't want to pay money for this. I listen to probably 50 to 60 podcasts uh, a month as far as different podcasts, and I only put money into a small handful of them. And it's not that I don't like the others. It's that you have to pick and choose, right? So, look, if you like this podcast, please keep listening. That's all. I, I, I hope if you enjoy it, you like to continue listening, you will continue listening. If you do happen to want some more of this podcast, we offer it. That's what the Patreon's for. The Patreon lets you you get two extra episodes a month, and you can listen to them, and they're only going to be available for Patreon members ever. If we ever post anything on both, it's posted ahead of time. Hey, this next episode's going on both. And that means you also get a bonus episode that month. Like, there's always going to be two free episodes for every Patreon. As far as picking the episodes, it's not that there's a five-month wait. It's that if I said, hey, give us $20 to cover a game, we only do 24 main feed episodes a year and i was afraid despite that this is a 
a winner's problem, uh, is that we'd get too many requests if we just said 20 bucks or whatever for people to do games, and we'd never, we'd never be current. We'd always have a, a bunch of backup requests from patrons, etc., in the, in the can. And, and while I would love to only have patron requests, I'm oh, sorry, well, I would love to only have patron requests and make this happen, that we're not going to keep up. I don't want anyone to think we're ignoring the request. I also would love to cover games that maybe you haven't thought of that we really want to cover. So, yeah, the request a game thing is is kind of fluid. It says after you've paid for you know fifty dollars worth of Patreon, which is five months at the ten dollar rate, we have to cover your game at that point. We do it sooner in most cases. If you really, really, really want us to cover your game, and you don't want to wait five months. Just send us a message on the Patreon. Come across, you know, buying at the ten dollar rate. Come across and say, hey guys, I, I really, really, really want you to cover Goonies too, even though we already have. Just say you want us to do it again. Doesn't matter. And, and I'll talk to you about it. We can discuss it. If the time is a problem for you, that's fluid. But really, I don't... It's okay if you don't join the Patreon, right? These episodes are for everyone. But there are more episodes for the Patreons. We also have a Discord feed that's fairly active. You can come in and have some discussions with everybody, and, and all of us are on it. We have the, the regular Patreon message board that not a lot of people use because the Discord is much a faster of a response, but it's there. You... There are benefits to joining that are completely optional, but also I think very, very worth your time. So short answer is if you don't want to pay for it, it's okay. I'm not offended by it. Uh, it would be appreciated, but you don't have to. And, and if the concern is a five-month wait on getting your game covered, just send us a message. We can work it out. Yeah, we'll figure something out. And uh, I think that's going to do it for questions this uh, this week. If you want to if you want to drop by and drop us a question, just do what Jeremy said. Go to retrovania.net. It's that website that's never updated by that lazy guy. <laughs> I should probably do that at some point. Just scroll to the bottom, though. That, that contact form is always there. You can fill that out, send it to us, and through the magic of the Internet, we will probably answer it, no matter what you think of what we look like. You know, if Billy isn't some 1800s vagabond, uh, or if me and Jeremy just, you know, do not look like some regular white guys, we will still answer your question here and do the best we can at it. So, again, thanks, guys, for writing in. That's going to do it for this week. And that's going to do it for this episode. So, uh, hope you enjoyed our revisit to Silent Hill, and we look forward to next year where we're going to visit it again. We'll be back in two weeks with a regular episode, not about Halloween. So, happy Halloween!